welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor podcast. My name is Andrew Dick. I'm an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. Today, we'll be speaking with Greg Gein, the president and co-founding member of Realty Trust Group. Greg is a seasoned healthcare real estate professional who started his career working for a hospital system, then decided to start Realty Trust Group, a healthcare real estate consulting firm, which is an affiliate company of PYA, a national healthcare consulting and accounting firm. Greg has a great story to tell. I've known Greg for for a number of years and um, really admire the company he's built. And and, uh, he's a man of integrity. Always enjoyed catching up with him. We're going to talk with Greg about the state of healthcare real estate, where he sees opportunities in the future, and uh, a little bit about how he started his business and uh, how he's grown it to what it is today. Greg, thanks for joining me. Hello, Andrew. Thank you. Uh, good hearing your voice, and uh, thank you for the introduction and the and the very kind words. I would also like to say about you. I appreciate our friendship over the years, and I want to thank you for not only the opportunity to join you today and talk a little bit about our company, but also appreciate what you and your firm have done for the healthcare industry over the years in thought leadership. Um, as you know, Andrew, and what I like our audience to know is you're one of the go-to people that not only myself, but other professionals at Realty Trust Group rely on when there's a question that is really complicated and complex before we call our client back with our opinion. uh, We like to use you as a sounding board. So thank you uh, for your friendship, uh, professional and personal over the years. Um, Now, as to your as to your first question, I'm a local product of where our corporate headquarters is located. I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I was actually uh, born at the hospital where I worked. Um, I was born here and other than leaving for college, uh, have spent uh, my entire life here in East Tennessee. When I graduated from high school, I worked construction for a couple of years. I was a general laborer and also a brick mason apprentice. After a couple of hard, cold winters in East Tennessee, I decided that the classroom looked pretty inviting. And so I went back to school at a community college called Rome State Community College. Uh, There I studied and received my associates in business uh, administration. And then following that, I went to Maryville College, a liberal arts school, uh, probably 30 minutes away from Knoxville and got a a BA Bachelor of Arts degree in economics in 1983. My first job out of college I was a land use planner working for the state of Tennessee, and um, it was a great experience um, uh, working in the regulatory side of land development. And after spending two years there um, at the state in that job, I went back to UT Knoxville and got an MBA in finance and new venture analysis. And uh, then my first job out of graduate school was with the local health system here um, and now, 32 years later, I'm blessed to still be working in healthcare. Greg, it's it's a great story. Um, you know, I've known you for years, but didn't but didn't have all this background information. Uh, I I found it really interesting that you were a land use planner, and then then you started to work in the healthcare industry and and talk a little bit about that because I think you started um, in the healthcare real estate business. Um, as it was taking off. Uh, today, what we see in the healthcare real estate world is a very mature market. Healthcare real estate in terms of asset classes is a mature class. 
um, not as mature as some of the others, but it's, it's been around and it's well recognized. But talk about how you stepped into your role uh, working for a health system and, and helping that health system build out their their uh, real estate platform. Okay. And um, uh, as I think about my real estate career, I'll, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit and talk about that, the land use planning job that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, I had actually written my senior thesis in college at Maryville College on the 1982 World's Fair. And the, my thesis was what was the impact of the World's Fair and the governmental spending in infrastructure to prepare Knoxville to host the world coming here for the World's Fair. What was the impact of that um, on the local taxpayer? And that really uh, got me interested in real estate, infrastructure, how do communities uh, prepare to welcome uh, people? And in that case, the real estate was for the World's Fair, which the World's Fair side is still very integral to Knoxville, Tennessee. And um, I was very um, uh, lucky to have a person in career planning and placement that helped me uh, take that um, experience from my senior thesis and say, you may be uh, really interested in working as a land use planner. And so that's kind of how I got into the, into the land use planning part of it. And when I think about how my land use planning prepared me to step into the shoes or into the job I had in healthcare, um, when I look back on it, I think about the old adage that, you know, that may look good on paper as it relates to a development plan or a regulation, but here's why it doesn't work in the real world. And so, Andrew, that was so uh, impactful on me and my career as it relates to what are the governmental entities and the policy decisions they're being made? How are they being implemented? And how does that prepare you for, for healthcare? Um, when I came out of graduate school, so uh, after land use planning, two years in graduate school, and then I went to work in healthcare for Fort Sanders. Um, in graduate school, when I came out, I was actually going to be a commercial uh, mortgage originator for a, for a large uh, life company. And uh, that was in 1988. And uh, there was quite a bit of real estate in receivership. And vividly remember having a candid conversation with my wife about another job offer I had that I ultimately took. Um, and that's how I wound up in healthcare. So I would like to say that I can take credit for really planning out a very direct linear approach to getting into healthcare. But the truth is, and the fact of the matter is, it was divine intervention. Um, I was blessed. I just liked the people that I interviewed with at Fort Sanders and took that job. And um, one of the things I thought about as I was preparing my notes for today that I want to speak to if there are young professionals thinking about getting into real estate or in our profession. Some of the things is one of the first things I want to mention is uh, be flexible in your thinking and uh, always be prepared for an opportunity that you didn't even really plan for uh, to present itself to you and then uh, follow your heart. That's good advice, Greg. I, um, that, that's something I think we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more at the end of our conversation as well, because I, I get a, a lot of questions from younger folks who are thinking about different career paths and seem to be intrigued by healthcare real estate. And, and uh, I often say similar, provide similar advice. So, so Greg, 
you get this opportunity to work for Fort Sanders Health, which I think you said is now Covenant Health. Um, talk about that opportunity because you really got in at a time when the health system was growing and you were able to help uh, help the health system plan out its its long-term real estate strategy and, and, and to execute on that strategy. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, well, I'd love to. Went there my first day of work at, uh, at Fort Sanders was June 28, 1988. So you can, you can see, Andrew, I, I remember it. It's a, it was great 10 years there. And how I got there was through an opportunity in graduate school, along with two of my friends, um, Roger McFalls and Mark Fioravanti. Um, and Roger's the one that actually picked up the engagement and then got Mark and I to help him. Uh, Roger and Mark and I put together a business plan on how to um, execute on um, real estate operations for a new ambulatory care campus in West Knoxville that was being built by Fort Sanders Health System. The ambulatory care campus was probably two or three miles away from a large hospital that at the time was owned by HCA. Uh, we ultimately bought that hospital in 1990 or 91 from them. But we were going to compete in our market with ambulatory care services. And so in 1988, Andrew, that was a very um, uh, risky endeavor. And we, Fort Sanders and Covenant Health to this day is still a not-for-profit with local board leadership and governance. And they said, this is a good model and let's pursue it. And it really changed uh, our community. But getting back to what we did in graduate school, we, we prepared a business plan, made a presentation. And after the presentation, one of the executives there named Larry DeWine asked me to leave a copy of my resume. And long story short, got to uh, interview with Larry and others there. Larry offered me a job as a project manager for the uh, outpatient campus. I accepted it and, um, and spent 10 wonderful years working with Larry and a lot of other people there at Fort Sanders and you know, ultimately became Covenant Health. Um, that was probably one of the most um, impactful and productive periods of my career uh, working with Larry and others. And that's also where I met Ed, Ed Pershing, who's co-founder of RTG uh, with, with other people back in 1998. So um, let me let me continue, Andrew, talking a little bit about that, because there are some other things I wanted to mention as it relates to that ambulatory care campus. We So I spent 10 years there and we not only grew the ambulatory care campus, it was 62 acres and it's still 62 acres, but it's pretty much um, well-developed today. And um, we work not only on ambulatory care strategy, which was complementary to the acute care strategy, but they had a very robust, Fort Sanders had a very robust physician alignment uh, strategy in place as well. So if you think about my career at the time, I was directly involved with acute care. I worked with the, excuse me, I was directly involved with the ambulatory care I had reporting relationships with the acute care, the hospital presidents, worked with strategic planning teams, the finance folks, the attorneys, um, and many others uh, to help grow that, that network that um, today is one of the more compelling networks in the East Tennessee region compared to others, but it includes not only the Covenant Hospital locations, but the ambulatory and the, 
and the physicians. One of the things that we did, and I, I just don't recall the exact year, but one of the things we did is we helped a local orthopedic practice develop uh, a facility for them to relocate. And, and at that time, and this still happens today in certain communities, a lot of medical office buildings are beside the hospital or across the hospital in Knoxville in 1990, 91, and those periods were about the same. And we helped relocate an orthopedic group that had been on the campus of one of our competitors onto the Fort Sanders West campus. And that really changed not only the tra trajectory of what Fort Sanders and Covenant was able to do, but it actually changed our marketplace because other physician practices saw that it's able you know, that they were able to work at multiple hospital campuses and multiple hospital sites without being right across the street, if you will, from the hospital. And um, and so that was very impactful and, and, a, and a great learning experience for me. Uh Greg, talk about that transition. So you you worked for the health system for a number of years and then ultimately made a transition to starting RTG. How did that happen? How did that transition occur? I had been invited to be a panelist on a national survey that one of the um, I guess it was big eight, maybe big six back in the day was putting together. And um, uh, I had colleagues from across the country um, that were on this panel. Um, and um, I, I say panel, we, we provided a very detailed survey as to how we manage real estate. And what was interesting is we were one of the few companies that domiciled our real estate operations in the for-profit arm of the not-for-profit health system. And I think that was one of the attractions that got um, the uh, national accounting firm to want to include Fort Sanders in that survey. And so Larry DeWine and I participated in that and me directly and Larry indirectly and met a lot of people across the country. And I really became um, um, enthusiastic, if you will, about thinking about taking some of the things I'd learned, the experience and doing it other places. And um, I was being recruited away from someone and decided that I just wanted to stay at home and uh, had an opportunity to stay in Knoxville and uh, help start a company with my colleagues and partners at PYA. And so we did that March 1, 1998. Um, it's when we stood up uh, Realty Trust Group. And um, what I think about when I think about those early days coming back to your question is really, I guess, what I what I brought to to uh, from my experience to the company, in addition to the great resources that PYA already had in place and Ed Pershing's experience. But what I brought was really my experience working with physicians and understanding alignment of physicians and how important physicians as stakeholders are in all of your real estate decisions. Um, secondly, I tried to always have a holistic mindset, even today, 22 years after starting Realty Trust Group and 32 years after my first day of being in the business, I try to keep a, a holistic mindset about the continuum of care. I've already mentioned it a couple of times from acute into ambulatory and physician. And now, Andrew, you know, we've got urgent care. We've got telemedicine. 
Uh, we've got a lot of other care models out there. And so my holistic mindset has even broadened more. Um, and then the other thing is um, thinking about the capital that's that's available um, and is necessary as far as growing healthcare real estate. I'll tell you, I was a little spoiled coming from a large, well-positioned, well-funded, very successful health system in the balance sheet they had. And I was a corporate vice president doing things only for Covenant Health. And then when transitioned into a company, Realty Trust Group, and going out and helping physicians do certain things, the first project we ever did was integrated three discrete physician practices into one LLC operating model and then helped them build a a surgery center, a a single specialty surgery center called Tennessee Valley Eye Center. We probably started that project in late 98 or early 99. But my point there is um, what I've really learned now with RTG um, is how important capital is and the different sources of capital that are that are available uh, for healthcare real estate. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and there are that are companies that that are out there just specializing in providing capital to healthcare real estate projects, and uh, it's it's become a a very important um, part of the development process. Uh, Greg, before we talk about what RTG is like today. Talk a little bit about the early days when it was really you and uh, co-located uh, your office with some of the PYA folks. What, what was that like? I mean, it had to be exciting. Um, talk about the, the early days a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, and I love to. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm employee 001 uh, for the company. We Today, we have uh, 91 employees uh, across six different offices. And so the first day I walked in, I don't want to leave the impression I was by myself, although I was the first employee in RTG because, as you mentioned, I was co-located in in PYA and essentially part of their team and was able to leverage the infrastructure here. Um, And to this day, uh, we're still co-located and do a lot of things together that really helps us leverage some fixed costs and other things. We're also co-located with, with PYA in Tampa and Nashville. And so that model from day one continues to work today, 22 years later and 90 employees uh, uh, later. Um, and it's also really rewarding to be part of a larger enterprise. Um, uh, Andrew, you're blessed to work with a big law firm, uh, but as you know, uh, that's also very um uh, great and vibrant, if you will, to be able to talk to other people that are in different segments of your law firm as well. And that's how I'm able to draw upon the other folks at, at PYA. Um, we, we set up RTG day one as a real estate company and uh, under standards of practice of real estate. Um, and we are a separate company and not, and we are a separate affiliate company and not a subsidiary. And I say that because of PYA practices under AICPA standards. Uh, they do a great job across the board in, in strategy and a test and taxation uh, and have a huge consulting evaluation practice. But RTG is a, is a separate and distinct real estate company. Um, we've been able to not only help PYA when they're, when they're assisting their clients where facilities or real estate or locations 
um, services may be necessary for PYA to, to bolt that on, if you will, to the delivery of their, of their clients. But the inverse of that has worked very well. When we're helping physician clients stand up new medical facilities, and many times we're a joint venture partner with them, we're able to bring tax services and we're able to bring strategic planning services that PYA offers uh, to those clients that are coming to us for real estate. And so to your question, what was it like in the early days? In the early days, it was, and, and this is a true statement, it was on the back of a napkin that I'd written out a few bullet points as to what the what the plan of attack and the business plan ought to look like. I have that napkin uh, still in my in my jewelry box, and with the PYA people and now the other people that have joined us in RTG over the last many years, we're able to still continue to execute on the some of the fundamentals that we thought about in 1988. So. Greg, what, what type of services were you offering in the early days? Was it um, consulting type services? Was it development services or um, all of the above? No, we were offering uh, advisory services. And uh, that's a great question. And it's one of the things that if, when we talk to new clients, when we're talking about our company, we've grown our services following our clients' requests of us or evaluating uh, what the future may be in our industry and then running to add those services. And compliance is one of those that I'll talk about a little bit deeper here as I explain what I mean by that. Um, we were engaged very early on um, to help a health system in an advisory engagement um, go through due diligence for the acquisition of seven hospitals from HCA that was part of the 1988 divestiture, and they sold, I forget how many hundreds of hospitals across the country. And PYA's client was picking up several, and PYA had several clients, but the one that I worked on specifically was uh, in Tennessee. And so we helped them with the due diligence, which meant going through all of the leases, flagging anything that we saw that might not meet either an FMV or, or, a, or, a, or, a, or a commercial reasonableness standard, flag those, bring them up to the, to the internal legal counsel, which ultimately went to external legal. And then once we helped them with due diligence and the acquisition was closed to help them stand up a property management company. So, Andrew, day one, we were pretty much advisory. Within a year, uh, we were still advisory and had gotten into the operations, what we call operations, it's property management. Within that year as well, we were asked to help those three physician groups come together. And so we stood up our project management arm, um, which probably we only did um, owner's rep slash project management for the first four years. And probably in the fifth or sixth year of us being around, we were asked to do our first development where we were at risk um, and we built a cancer center for a, a hospital up in Virginia and uh, owned that. And then um, after a certain period of time, uh, when they were ready to go to the bond market, uh, we allowed them to buy that facility back from us and they aggregated it and took it to the bond market. And so first was advisory, then project management. And I would tell you that part of the advisory did start us into the compliance. And over the years, uh, we had worked episodically on uh, 
uh, client engagements, helping with fair market value, uh, rent studies, uh, maybe giving opinion letters on acquisitions, working for either the board or the executive team before they were ready to either buy or sell either one asset or three or four primarily medical office buildings, but before they were going to sell a portfolio of assets, is this a fair deal to the organization? And so we did that quite a bit. And, uh, and then we did, this is one of the service lines where we really anticipated um, the emerging trend and the importance of having people that fundamentally understand real estate. And Andrew, you, you know, because you know us, but 95 to 98% of our total revenue is healthcare real estate. We have a few clients that we serve through relationships that are non-healthcare, but we are a healthcare real estate advisory and services firm. And so when we're doing any of the work in compliance, those people know that we're, we're not out that morning doing a Walmart or a Target or some other food type of, a, of, the, of the advisory work. We, we, we are healthcare. Everybody in our company is working healthcare uh, throughout the day. But we saw PYA rapidly growing their compliance arm as well as it relates to valuation services and some of the other compliance slash regulatory. And so we decided to invest in our resources, people, processes, and technology to um, significantly uh, stand up a, a compliance, a real estate compliance arm. And today we've, pretty, we've worked on some pretty nice projects. Um, most of those we keep confidential, but we've worked on some, some um, uh, national level projects uh, in our compliance service line. So fast forward today, Greg, um, talk about how the business has grown, where you're located, and, um, you know, new services that you're offering. Um, as I sit here today, we're in Atlanta, Greensboro, Johnson City, Knoxville, Nashville, and Tampa. And, um, and I say that because we have plans for a couple of other locations um, and we have some people working with us as um, on a contractual basis that'll that'll that may take us before the end of this year into a couple of other markets um, uh, we're when people look at our footprint you, you can tell we're generally a southeast company but we are growing uh, we're growing our our footprint uh, I think we've worked in 32 or 33 maybe 35 states over the years. And as I mentioned a moment ago, we have 90 employees and um, our service lines, we, our three primary service lines are as they were back in 88, 89, advisory development, which is our capital projects, and then um, operations, which is our pro uh, property management. And then the other two service lines that we have are transactions and the compliance. And the reason I mentioned three primary versus the other two is the transactions is a function of what we're doing in our operations and compliance are, is, is essentially a function of what we're doing in our advisory work. Um, when you um, when you ask about our company today and maybe what makes us a little different than others, I have my own opinion and and others, our, our clients have their opinions about us. But what I what I hear when I'm asking our clients at the end of an engagement or a project, why they selected us. Uh, one of the things that, that, that 
comes to mind to them quickly and it is repeated is that the RTG difference, the first characteristic is we are healthcare. We're healthcare real estate um, day in and day out. A lot of people really appreciate the relationship, the affiliate relationship that we have with PYA because they know that we have additional resources to call upon if we need those. And we also understand how to operate as a professional services firm, uh, which PYA is as well. And um, and we also tend to do most of our work um, uh, as objective advisors. Uh, We go over budgets and we go over fees and we go over scope of work with our clients on the front end. And um, if there are any contingency um, uh, or commission related uh, aspects or tasks to that, we separate our work, our deliverable and our opinions from that additional work. And um, so many of our hospital clients appreciate the way that we do that. That that also honors any relationships they may have locally. So they want a healthcare advisor with a national footprint and national experience to bring them an objective, independent uh, business plan or plan of action. And if they need us to help them execute, we can do that. Or if they want to use something local to help them execute, we can certainly do that. And that's always been part of our um, um, part of our value proposition to our clients, and also part of our delivery platform. Then the second thing, Andrew is. Our clients tell us just the breadth of our services platform. Um, They don't have to go get someone else if they want to manage a project. Um, um, If if we've helped them with a site location and they want to put an urgent care center or something else there, their internal resources are stretched. They need some help through a separate engagement. We can help them with the construction and the project management on that and they don't have to go get another firm and get them up the learning curve and everything is still under a very, uh, very discreet engagement with them with uh, uh, confidentiality and everything in place. So I'll tell you the second is just the breadth of our services platform. So Greg, talk about typical clients. Uh, You've talked about physician groups, hospital systems. What's the breakdown of terms of uh, amount of work or revenue in terms of those different categories? That obviously changes from quarter to quarter, um, although it stays within a bandwidth, a pretty close bandwidth. And so, as I mentioned, around 95% of our work is healthcare. And um, I would say 60% of that today, and could be 60 to 65% of our work today, is through health systems. And then 30 to 35 percent is physician groups. And then um, there will be five percent, could be three to seven percent. But there will be a percentage there where we may be working with a banking client. And that may either be an RTG relationship or it could be a client of PYA that has said we want to we need some help from a real estate professional group on a new branch location. So we may we do a lot of work with 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 uh, banks. But it's interesting um, how closely aligned when you're thinking about locating a bank branch or locating an urgent care center or 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 a primary care group, how important the real estate part of that is. Um, but uh, but that's generally at about two thirds hospitals, health systems, um, one third physician groups. 
So Greg, I let's talk, let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the industry of healthcare real estate. And uh, because you've you've been working in the industry for a number of years, um, have grown a uh, RTG, um, doing work all over the country. Um, where do you see the industry going in the future? What what type of trends are you seeing? Um, we're, we are as busy today as we have ever been. And um, in a moment, you and I may be able to talk a little bit about COVID because I, that's, that's certainly um, an area right now in, in history that's different for me and you and everybody else in this business. But if we had had this conversation in um, January of this year or February of uh, I would tell you generally about the same thing that I'm telling you right now, that we, we we're very busy. And um, I don't I don't mean uh, necessarily the volume of work as as much as I mean the pace of play. And what I mean by that is we are doing a lot of work today and we've done a lot of work over our last 22 years. But and Andrew, this may be the same for you. So I kind of like to ask you this question when I finish. But. It seems that our clients, the pace of play and how competitive it is, not only in the hospital sec- sector, but and whether you're on the for-profit, working for-profit or not-for-profit, but even with physicians and venture capital coming in, the pace of play, how quickly they want to not only understand the plan and execute on the plan and know what the plan is and get the physicians aligned, that has um, really is about as... Um, busy um, as it's ever been in my career. So as it relates to the healthcare real estate, I think we're a direct function of the healthcare industry per se, is that everyone is just incredibly busy even before COVID-19 came to us. And I think, again, that's a function of intense competition, uh, a real competition, the first to market, uh, to get their, their flag into a market subset. To, um, to make sure they're aligned with the doctors. If the physicians want to grow, they need to have a, a place to perform their procedures before, to get their diagnostic tests taken care of. So they're also trying to take care of the doctors as they're trying to grow as well. And, um, and then I also think it's a function of macroeconomic, I guess, demographics, if you will, just the aging population and the necessary volumes that are that are happening. And um, I'll tell you, uh, and this is anecdotally, although I could probably present some empirical evidence to you, as you know, we're really transitioning from the acute care hospital environment to the ambulatory, most of our mo- ambulatory environment, most of our clients have already crossed over the 50-50 threshold, where they're most, I shouldn't say most, they're probably either 50-50 or 49 inpatient and 51 outpatient as far as their revenues. And so that has also really quickened the pace as it relates to adapting their facilities or building new facilities. But the pace of play, is that how you see it, Andrew, with, with your clients? Absolutely. I think it's interesting the way you described it as, as pace of play. Uh, the transactions just seem to be moving faster and faster, uh, more compressed timeframes. We uh, worked on a sale leaseback transaction on the West Coast uh, last month, uh, helped a client 
close on four outpatient facilities. And uh, the timeline was, uh, I think, three and a half weeks. And uh, there was a lot to do. And I'll tell you, Greg, it it can be really exciting, but also very stressful as well. So uh, pace of play is a good way to describe it as things just keep moving faster um, and the industry's evolving and, and uh, you really have to be on, on your game uh, when you jump into some of these opportunities. Um, so I think you're right. Uh, Greg, you mentioned COVID uh, because we're recording this really in the midst of um, COVID, a number of States have opened. Um, some are still uh, have stay at home orders um, some have opened and are now slowly rolling back their their uh, reopening plans. Um, how has how has COVID impacted your work and and what you're seeing in the industry? Yeah, it's um, it's um, it's a very different time, Andrew. As a person and a as a professional, a um, few things come to mind right off the bat. Um, Fundamentally, I think it's brought a lot of well-deserved attention to the profession of property management. And I'll say this not only about our people, and it's more than just the people in our property management service line, because our construction management people and a lot of people in our advisory service line are supporting others. So it's really about our company, but I want to speak specifically to, to the people that are on the front line in our property management. And I'll also broaden that comment because we work with a lot of different uh, companies um, out there. And we also have clients that are real estate investment trusts and they have property managers internal to their organization and other property management firms. So I want to, I want to extend my, my compliment and my respect to everyone in the property management arena, not just RTG, but it's been very inspiring to see how integrated and essential our property management team, our people um, have been and continue to be to our hospital clients and other building owners uh, during this time. I mean, they are literally on the front line. And so you think about an MOB that's on a hospital campus, it could be connected to the hospital campus or it's off campus. But those doctors and those patients, it's critical. And we've been considered, as you know, a an essential uh, service. And so every day that they're open, we're open. We're there to make sure they're open. We're there to help with the traffic. We're there to help police the security. Uh, we're there to help make sure that the housekeeping and the additional sanitary conditions and cleaning and all of that is in place. We're there to answer the phone in the middle of the night uh, when things are not, are not going well. So again, it's not only the RTG team, but everyone in, the, in this business. COVID, I think, is also really focused on the importance of technology. Uh, we're doing this podcast today. You and I talked earlier about how many team meetings we have and Zoom meetings, technology, communication protocols, and, uh, and really broad-based communication. Um, how do we communicate directly with a risk manager or an infection control expert at the hospital or at our REIT uh, client? How do we communicate with them directly? And then how do we communicate out to the public and how do we communicate out to the other tenants in our in our building? And you all may, as a, as a law firm, also see and I keep up with, uh, uh, with your great advice coming out 
um, on uh, on COVID nineteen and the impact on real estate. We we follow you guys and appreciate you sending out that thought leadership as well. And so uh, I think it's not only drawn attention to what we do in the real estate slash property management business, but I think it's also drawn attention to skills. And I said technology a moment ago, but um, uh, the people skills and you know, Andrew, you, you touched on it a moment ago when you mentioned the, um, the time frame. Um, there's no way to measure, although I think when we get past COVID-19 and we all look back, have, what percentage increase of our daily stress quotient that we've all put up with. And some days I am certain, I'm a believer that it has been beyond 100%, many days maybe, but it's really been something... Um, to watch and we've tried to be supportive of everyone in our company. And I know you guys are doing the same thing there with, with your company. But the other thing there is I think that will also enhance our people skill training. And um, we use the term, our emotional intelligence, um, how you're taking care of yourself before you can help take care of other people and making sure that, that you're thinking about that as you think about, um, Think about what you do from the time you wake up to the to the time you finish at the end. And then last thing that I'll mention, Andrew, I know it's evolving, but I think it will impact the design of buildings in the future, uh, whether that's materials and, and this, this people smarter than me that will be doing this. But we work with a lot of great healthcare architectural firms across the country, and I'm sure they're looking at that, but they're also looking at how you enter and leave buildings. We talk about smart buildings all the time. We've talked about telemedicine. So I'm certain that it's going to have a big impact on really facility design moving forward. Yeah, those are all really good points. And I was, I was writing some notes down as you were talking, uh, you know, just, I, I think COVID's going to have a significant impact on the push for healthcare systems to expand their outpatient um, network or their ambulatory network. I think you mentioned that earlier, Greg, that was really already, already happening, but I think it's going to accelerate the pace of more outpatient development, um, off-campus development. Um, I, I, just a couple days ago, um, one of the major healthcare REITs, uh, published, uh, uh, an independent survey of consumers and, uh, where they, where they, ask consumers, where would you prefer to have healthcare and, and outpatient facilities was where most of the consumers um, indicated they, they'd prefer to be treated primarily because there's some fear associated with going to hospitals today uh, as we, we live through COVID. But uh, I think you're right. It's going to change facility design. I think it's going to change um, or accelerate, I should say, um, how some health systems uh, uh, implement their ambulatory strategy. So all, all really good points. Um, Greg, as we, as we wrap up here, I've got a couple more questions for you. Where do you see the opportunities for uh, the industry, for healthcare, real estate professionals? Um, give us a, a couple of thoughts there. Well, I'm extremely bullish on the healthcare real estate industry. You could 
probably have guessed that, but I love it as much today as I loved it 32 years ago when uh, through divine intervention, I was able to go to work for Fort Sanders. And um, as a young person or whatever age person, but if they're transitioning into the healthcare real estate, I, uh, I think there are opportunities across the continuum. Uh, I mentioned our service lines and our service lines tend to follow where the work is, if you, if you will. But, um, but the one thing I would mention as they think about managing their professional career is um, to really develop an understanding of the patient experience. And while you and I are talking about ambulatory or acute care and then telemedicine, virtual medicine, whatever term we want to use, that's still a patient experience. And so if you want to understand the destination or what you're trying to accomplish, really seek to understand what the user is doing. And um, uh, we're all at a certain time in our life, users of healthcare. It's important to pay attention when you go to your doctor's appointment and how you go through that process. But I would say to really figure out a way to understand the patient experience um, and look at the different facilities, if you will, um, my oldest daughter who lives in Washington, D.C., uh, she's been in Knoxville for the last two and a half months because of this pandemic. But she's based in D.C. working with um, with, with one of the big uh, public accounting firms. She accesses her provider through a smartphone and uh, and then does FaceTime. And um, and I just get a kick out of that. I think that's just a mind blower. Uh, we don't do much of that here in East Tennessee, but I can see it uh, coming quicker. Um, and the, 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 again, pace of play, I think change will, will be even more rapid than it is, uh, than it has been. But no need to call and schedule that. She just does it online and then picks up the phone and, and there you have it. So the reason I segued from the patient experience, the individual has to you need to think about what it is for them, what it's like in the parking facility, where do they drop off their family member or their cells, how do they come in, uh, how do they access the building, but then also what's the impact of technology going to be on that end user. And then as most things in life, you triangulate. So it's end user technology destination to the facility. And so I would, I would just say as far as the opportunities in the industry, uh, jump in anywhere you, you see it as far as construction all the way into management. I'm a big believer in uh, first be an advisor, first be a consultant. So you really have a broad uh, base opportunity to do a lot of different things. So I'm a big believer in the advisory side of the business, but always keep in mind who you're serving, the patient. That's good advice. Uh, Greg, we talked a little bit earlier on about um, what advice you'd give to someone who wants to get into the healthcare real estate industry. You talked about um, being flexible. What, what, what other advice would you have for someone uh, who's interested in, in starting a career in, in the healthcare real estate industry? It'd be great if you had a mentor or someone that professional relationship that you can ask about um, what it's like to be in the, healthcare real estate arena in our business. Um, if not, there are different professional organizations where you can develop a network. Uh, I'm a member of CCIM. Um, I'm also um, part of IRM. 
Um, and lastly, counselors of real estate. And we, we have networks where people can talk about different um, areas in real estate, where to work. Um, you could also volunteer at a local, I do a lot with our local United Way, but you could also volunteer at one of the hospitals or, uh, or something just to get a little bit of, uh, of um, experience, so to speak, or a little bit of, of um, uh, time with them. But the last thing I do, I, I read quite a bit, Andrew, and I'll, I'll mention just a few of these off the top of my head. One of the thought leaders in our business is the advisory board. Uh, that's a subscription. Uh, you may be able to find some of their stuff online, but uh, the advisory board, modern healthcare is something out there that people could get and look at healthcare, healthcare design. Um, but I would say uh, kind of as a person's thinking about getting into it, try to try to come into it through their real estate professional network one way or the other through a professional relationship. It's good advice. Greg, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me today. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I too have enjoyed our friendship and getting to know you over the years. Uh, where can our audience uh, learn more about you and RTG? Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks again for the opportunity and good seeing you and be, be safe uh, and uh, pass that along to your other colleagues that I, that I know and talk with up there. I talk with you most of the time, but uh, in answer to your question um, over the last couple of years, we've, uh, really made significant investments in our website. And there's a lot of information on our website. Our marketing manager is named Angie Surface. Uh, and she does a great job um, of keeping up with our resources there. Uh, my email address is on the website, gegeen at Realty Trust Group. If, if you don't see any information on our website, you can either hit Angie on a link or hit me on the link and we'll, we'll get back to you and uh, really do appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, Andrew. Today. Great. Likewise, Greg, thanks to our audience for listening to the podcast on your Apple or Android device. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave feedback for us. If you have ideas for um, future podcasts, we'd, we'd love to hear from you and like to hear those ideas. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor to be added to the list. Please email me at adick at hallrender.com. 